think um do you think that we should like um legalize drugs in society decriminalization is definitely one thing yeah um legalization is a is another thing again i think that would potentially just be the government trying to get their slice of the pie because then they can look at how much tax they take off boot like booze like Mm. i know a lot of people in the hospitality industry and that that increase goes up every six months yeah you know yeah and that's just the government being greedy yeah and taking from an industry you know that gets into the lockdowns which i won't touch on but i feel like if the government did legalize things it'd just they'd just want to take their slice yeah so so is that the reason why you would think that we shouldn't legalize well i don't know man it it puts it into a people always want to do something that's illegal right so i think that's sort of human nature yeah so if you legalize one thing is it going to push it in another way like yeah i guess you could do case studies on what's gone in the u.s where they've legalized weed has that changed drug culture yeah from what i'm seeing on social media it looks like they're still pretty fucked over there yeah yeah like they'll just figure out another way to get hot (laughs) fentanyl and all that sort of stuff but so so like it's interesting. I always like asking people because, yeah. again, it's been a journey for me. I, I think we most definitely should, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And it doesn't mean that it has to look like alcohol. <laughs> like you can go down to the IGA and get a fucking bag of smack or something. <laughs> no. But um, but I think, I, I definitely think that we should. Like, I think it would eliminate organized crime mm-hmm. and a big chunk of their sort of business in a heartbeat. Right. Um, and also, um, I think, yeah, people might be using drugs. But again, like to me, that's almost like a, not the most important thing because heaps of people are using alcohol and fucking totally. other people up as well, you know. But like, it will stop like all the people going to prison and all the other shit that happens. What is happening, beautiful people? My name is Jack Nagel, and this is another episode of the Real Drug Talk podcast. But today, this isn't the Real Drug Talk podcast in actual fact. It's actually an episode of a podcast called 3000 Podcast uh, that I was a guest on um, a couple of months back now. Uh, So for those of you watching, I'm doing a bit of a screen share, and this is my man, Maloney. Um, Now, I wanted to do a bit of a screen share and introduce you to the 3,000 podcasts that I was on that he he runs, uh, because after meeting him and doing my interview, which I thoroughly enjoyed, I've become (laughs) a real fan of uh, of his podcast, and I want to pump him up a bit for a couple of reasons, because I genuinely actually am really enjoying his show. And listening to some of the guests that he has on, he has some heads on there, um, and and really, um, yeah, it's all about Melbourne and he and street culture and people that have been influential and done different stuff in in Melbourne. Um, so yeah, it's quite an interesting podcast, and I quite like it because there's a few like dudes on there that you know I'd heard of from back in the day and whatever. So that's been really cool. Um, but the second reason is I actually stood him up on Instagram <laughs> the other night. I was meant to jump on his live and I totally got sidetracked uh, and, and missed it. So I want everybody um, to go and at least have a listen to the show. And if you like what he's putting down and putting out, go and give it a follow. So uh, I think the best place to find it is actually on YouTube. So I thought I'd just show you here for those on a screen share. Obviously, just bang in 3000 podcast. I'm not patronizing anyone. But you would be uh, shocked at um, 
how many people find it challenging to find their way around. Um, Because at one point, I don't think he had all these episodes up on Spotify, but they're probably up on there now. And and, um, (laughs) I said whiz because I'm looking at the episode, but um, uh, on Apple Podcasts as well. But YouTube's the best place. He's got all the videos there. Um, Yeah, and he's got some really interesting guys, skaters, graffiti guys, guys that have done interesting stuff in the food space. Yeah, like um, heaps of different characters. So go and check it out. Uh, the 3000 podcast with Maloney. I really enjoyed it. Um, and just doing a crossover episode and dropping it on our show. Um, as always, guys, this episode uh, is brought to you by Connection Based Living, um, which is our outpatient support program. Our enrollments, uh, so if you need help for addiction, that's what we help with. But we help people to get recovery and beat their addiction without having to go to rehab. Um, so if that sounds of interest to you, get in, get in quickly because we're closing our enrollments. It looks like I said at the end of September, but it looks like um, November now, uh, sorry, October now, just because spots are filling up quick, but we still got like four. I'm not sure if they're going to fill up before the end of the month. But yeah, we've only got like four or five spots left that we can fill. So if you've ever wanted to work with us or heard it before or need some help now, jump in quick before those spots go. Um, links will be for that in the description. Um, but enjoy the enjoy the podcast. We talk about drug and alcohol policy, my addiction story. Um, Maloney even kind of shares some stuff around his drinking, his thoughts. Yeah, it's a, it's a really good show. So Hope you guys enjoy. Good to be back with the show um, and we'll be vibing in New Year's again soon. Peace. 3, My name is Maloney. This is the 3000 Podcast. I don't have a cool intro like you do, man, but uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm happy to be joined by Jack Nagel. He is the man behind the Real Drug podcast real drug talk yeah real drug it. talk yep. podcast yep. sorry um and you do have a cool intro man which i'm yet to get yet yet to sort of figure out so i'm envious of that well i'm glad you think it's cool because sometimes i think fucking hell i'm just rambling you know <laughs> you've got a hook you've got a hook which is cool um, i appreciate you taking the time today man we'll talk about addiction we'll talk about your podcast we'll talk about your personal addiction if you're cool to do that yeah 100 percent. um and all that sort of stuff so uh yeah cheers for coming and let's sort of start with your own sort of stuff growing up, whereabouts did you grow up and uh, how did you find your uh, issues with substances? So I grew up in the southeastern suburbs of Melbourne, so um, uh, Clayton, um, uh, kind of like that Dandenong um, line. Suburbia. Yeah, like Murrumbina, then Clayton, then we moved to Bentley, which is kind of where, you know, I started getting into trouble. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I was just like a, a pretty, um, privileged, you know, happy go lucky fucking Aussie kid, you know, played cricket in the summer and footy in the winter and just love sport and all that kind of stuff. Um, and, and yeah, like was a pretty good kid and, and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, just unfortunately <laughs> got tangled up in the wrong kind of mess as well. <laughs> it, I think it happens to people of all sorts of different backgrounds and drugs or addiction doesn't discriminate. To anyone that's right yeah 100 percent. that's something that i've learned uh that's actually something that helped me uh like change my life as well is that i remember when i eventually did go to rehab there was this guy that was like um full like you know junged out one of the sickest people i'd ever seen and he he was a lot older than me uh i was young when i went and he like 
had a similar kind of story to me at that age. He was like trying out to play for North Melbourne, all that kind of stuff, but just, yeah, got hooked on smack and he was completely fucked. Um, and I think he died not long after. And just stuff like that. I met like this guy, Gavin Krasiska in my early days, who was a Collingwood footy, um, play, yeah. footy player, people like that. And that actually helped me get better. So yeah, it's, uh, it is interesting. It definitely doesn't discriminate. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, Oh, now I've lost all my lost all my notes. What are we doing here? Here we go. Um, so people do say it a lot. It's a term that's used in that sort of scene, but gateway drugs and that sort yeah. of thing. And but it, obviously, it's a real thing. Yeah. So you start off what smoking weed or something like that. Pretty much. Yeah. So for me, so so what happened to give you the like very kind of quick elevator version? Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, I played like sport like crazy. Loved footy. Broke my jaw when I was like thirteen was always like really tall. So I'm like six, six, um, just started playing basketball, was good at it. Um, and played like rep and all that stuff. And when I was a junior, I kind of get a bit embarrassed saying it because I don't want to be one of those fuckwits, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> oh, could have done, done this, yeah. but let's just say I was kind of in the mix potential for something good to happen potentially with like a sporting career at some you've got the physique some level yeah and i was playing in all the teams and we traveled to america andrew gaze was my coach at the time all that sort of stuff yep. and i was playing basketball like crazy like literally seven days a week um twice a day for five of those days um and i just didn't have like a normal um teenage sort of mm -hmm. life really um and i really remember that like uh, all I wanted to do was like chase girls, go and party and have fun. And I actually think that kind of fed into the start of my problems a little bit because anytime I got the opportunity to go and like drink or smoke weed or whatever, I was like all in. But you you're letting I mean? your hair down, I think. Because Correct. knowing a lot of people that had similar sort of stories, maybe not, you know, going to the US or whatever, yeah. but playing football or basketball at an elite level, yeah. it's a full-time job. My cousin did it. He was at the MSAC at 6am before he'd go to school and all that sort of That's stuff. That's right. That's right. So it is like you're working a full-time job like you're also being a teenager. So you do want to let your hair down. That's right. And it is like, uh, you know, I've worked with plenty of professional athletes, you know, in actual professional careers. And it's the same for them. They they do have problems or they can be very susceptible to problems because it kind of gets set up as that, such a like a binge thing. And there's no like sort of, um, I don't know how to explain but it. You have but to have an addictive nature to be good at that, to get up out correct. of bed. So you've got to throw yourself in all or nothing. Correct. Which I guess lends itself to addiction. Correct. So, um, yeah, and, and that's kind of what happened to me. So, uh, the yeah, I guess it was like a gateway, smoked pot with um, my mates, got it off their older brother, you know, behind Chatty, fucking one Easter Monday or something, I think it was. And the thing that I can always remember about my drug use was that uh, I was always really, like, fucking scared and nervous to like, do it. Um, but then as soon as I did it, I just fucking loved it and I wanted to do it all the time. Mm. Um, and, yeah, that's kind of what happened to me. So as soon as I smoked pot, I was like... It was pretty regular pretty quickly um and by the time i got to that end stage of like my junior playing i was smoking pot every day and doing other drugs on the weekend just partying all fun all nothing really affected but then the the thing that sort of was the changing point 
uh, 17, uh, we went, yeah, we went to an America, uh, to America on like a little basketball tour. And I was just so fucking naive that I didn't know about, you know, being dependent or anything like that. So I had my first like detox on the plane to America. I remember fe feeling really shit, all that sort of stuff. But I guess significantly, yeah, my mind had just sort of changed about what I wanted to do with my life, you know, who I was, all that sort of stuff. And when I came back, I gave up you know all my basketball and just in my head i wanted to just go and be normal teenager and party and have fun and chase girls and all that kind of stuff which happens to a lot of people especially ones that might yeah. burn out a little bit early you realize it's not for you and then you go on the road 100%. and you feel like fuck man if this is what being a professional athlete's about i'm not really about it yeah which totally makes sense yeah that's right <clears throat> um so i guess then you progress to other drugs and then you start to feel like you've got an actual problem like i guess that's the yeah. first step of figuring out of oh, getting help would be like actually understanding yeah it's really weird like and and that's what i talk to people you know but particularly like families and stuff it's not actually like the problem part of it in a way is not actually about the use itself it's more about all the other shit that comes along with it. Mm. The lying to family. Correct, correct. Stealing or whatever you do to feed your habit. Correct. So even though probably it, I was like addicted or dependent for a long time before I felt it was an actual problem. Mm -hmm. um, and it, kind of by the time I felt like it was a problem and I didn't want to be doing what I was doing anymore, it was almost like too late. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, and I, I think like, that Fuck. would happen to a lot of people because you're surrounding yourselves with other individuals that do the same thing and if yeah. you've got a pro problem they've got a problem and yeah. no one wants to be like that yeah a hundred percent so and and i remember for me so the the basketball thing was significant because yeah i'm not academic at all really um uh and i wasn't interested in anything else besides like sport and socializing and all that sort of stuff and kids can go through school if you're good at sport without really doing any fucking school work can't you and that's pretty much what you know and i was only at public schools and stuff but that's kind of what i was yeah. doing and everyone was just sort of okay at it okay with it because i was uh you know playing sport at a reasonable level but then when that all fell away uh yeah i just i don't know we got i got kicked out of bentley high school or asked to leave or whatever and then i went to sandy I don't know what it's like at the moment, but I went to Sandy for oh, for you went to Sandy for a, for a year bit. And a half. Yeah. yeah, it's like uh, I don't know. It was just different to Bentley. You didn't. There was like all these free periods. If you didn't go to school, nobody was fucking ringing you. They had the, the students had their own car park. That's right. That's where right. The teachers would be like, "Teacher, when they go to the smoking area." I I'm probably a bit older than you. Well, there still was the smoke. So I think there was there wasn't our own car park, but you could drive and park in the school when and i was there you could park in that middle bit you know like yeah the, yeah that's yeah, yeah. where you could park yeah, there. yeah so people used to do that and then yeah there was the alleyway where everybody smoked and it was cool like teachers would just walk up and down and not say like it was yeah it was totally cool and i think it was kind of like a art school right it was, like yeah a, there was yeah. different you could do i did like art um studio arts visual arts media production you could do all this stuff yep. that a lot of smaller schools just couldn't offer that's right that's right so that was like so but then there was a lot of people like me that just went there to sort of just take advantage of doing and there was nothing. multi i remember being there as a kid there was well not say a kid you know like you're 17 or 16 or whatever yeah there was multiple weed dealers there like right. you could like there were there was like people do you different like you get you'll get yeah. a cheaper rate from this guy and that like there was yeah. no shortage of finding it well and that's kind of what happened to me so 
I went there. Don't get me wrong. I was still like knocking around and doing stuff and getting in mischief and whatever. But it, it just introduced me to a whole bunch of different people. Mm. And I just remember that time of my life, to be honest. It was fucking fun and yeah. exciting. I had a blast. Like every How- day I was just getting up or missioning around on the train, doing all this shit. You know, it was awesome. I loved it. I had so much How fun. funny is it though? Like because it was such a big school just year 11 or 12. That's right. Yeah. You'll meet somebody who's in the same year level as you. That went there the same time as you that you'd never ever seen. You'll yeah. meet them at the and you're like, oh yeah, we actually went and you're like, I didn't fucking know who they were because they just hung out in a different spot. That's right. That's right. I didn't. Yeah. So and in the end, I, like I literally was just going to school. It was just like the meeting point. It was a social spot to yeah. then go and um, you know, do whatever and and have fun. So so yeah, that kind of happened. And really, like to be honest, my drug use, like just it it all just happened really quickly, and I was kind of into it you know, pretty fast, doing all different types of drugs, like regularly. Um, and, and yeah, just like progressed and you just meet like different people and different circles. And It's interesting because yeah. it happens to a lot of kids that are gifted athletes because they sort of, when that happens, and if it may not, if for you, you just decided you didn't want to play sport much yeah. anymore. But for a lot of people, it might mean they do an ACL or they didn't yeah. get picked up for this thing that they'd been aiming for or whatever and they become a little bit fucking lost yeah 100%. and then they just fall into that stuff it happens to a lot of people yeah well the, the biggest thing that i wish right like so still to this day to be honest with you even though i like there's been a few people no one that i played with directly ever made it real big in basketball but i used to play against jack watts in basketball who ended up playing footy pretty seriously but no one else really made it big but so i would see people that went to college that i played with and stuff mm-hmm. like that um, and I never really felt like this is like once I was, you know, clean myself up or whatever. I never really felt like, oh, fuck, I wish I had done that. But do you know what? I wish that I had kept playing footy. Mm. Um, and that's the biggest thing. Like when I was younger, I wish I just had like, yeah, kind of like a mentor, just someone that would have just said to me, just like I did enjoy basketball, but I loved playing footy and I love footy now. I wish someone just had said, just kept playing footy if you yeah, like man, that. And if better, you're 6'6, you, know. you could just play in the rough, palming those little <laughs> balls down. Like that would have been all right, man. Yeah, I still go now and think, fuck, this is awesome. What a life that would be. Yeah. <laughs> so obviously, you're taking drugs recreationally. You get to the point where you go, well, is it that for someone who's not really in this sort of rehab scene yeah um and some people watching will probably be like you fucking should go to rehab you drink too much that's uh, that's my <laughs> own issue but um like you people have always say you kind of got to hit rock bottom before you decide to make a change yeah. in is that kind of how your story played out or not uh, well really? yeah but so i've had so many like that that's been something significant for me over the last sort of like five years i've just like i've gone through a lot of like changes in how i think about it my own identity uh, how I think about my own story, my own addiction. And it's come through meeting, um, yeah, not only people with personal experience, but like researchers and, you know, seeing how policy mm-hmm. works and all that sort of stuff. And it is true that someone can hit a really bad point in their life and that creates like a window of opportunity, a realisation, light bulb moment that they're like, fuck, something's not right. But the whole rock bottom thing is just like a fallacy really because everybody has a different rock bottom Mm -hmm. (laughs) um and just because you hit it if you're addicted doesn't mean that you're gonna just go all right well i'm gonna stop now that's kind of the nature of addiction is you're doing something that you don't want to do and you're not in control of it and it's happening almost like despite of you in a way you know do you find that and look in melbourne there's a lot of 
people that have more money than other people. Yeah. Do you find that some people, their families kind of enable it to a point that they haven't, they're not out on the street, they're not doing it that tough yeah. because their parents kind of sweep it under the rug? Like, pe- personally, yeah. I know some people growing up that I think they'll always be okay and they can manage their addictions, yeah. but because they're kind of, family are letting them do that to an extent because what else do you do kick your kids out well yes but this is where like and this is where it gets so hard like because the the conversation is like complicated right so i always like to separate it in between between like public health so like thinking about drugs and alcohol from an overall like population health perspective and then like someone's own individual um journey with it and that what how they want to kind of approach the situation right Mm -hmm. um and i just think like we almost need to kind of like stop thinking about it as like addiction in a way and just think about is this causing how much harm is this causing in my life can i live with this like level of harm am i happy with it personally for me the consequences how is this affecting the people around me are they comfortable with it what messages are they giving me and i think if you come at it and approach it like that you'd get just so much better results with people because there wouldn't just be like this like oh fuck i'm addicted i have to do this or i'm not addicted i you know i'm i'm not bad enough yet and if we just thought about it more like how is it affecting you does that sort of make sense yeah it it does but i think a lot of people with their addictions, yeah, they feel that they're only harming themselves, yeah. so they legitimise it. They go, "Well, what's? I'm just having yeah. a few beers. I'm just doing this. I'm just smoking on whatever they're doing." Yeah, they say. I think when they realise it's hurting other people, yeah. that's when they, I guess, you know, should have some sort of empathy for their family and friends and think this is not just affecting me now. This yeah. is affecting them. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. And and that's why I think just overall, like the conversation has to depoliticize and it also has to, um, yeah, just th- there's this really interesting guy, um, uh, Dr. Carl Hart. I think I'm getting his name right. He's the he's basically like this whiz bang smart as scientist guy. He's been on Joe Rogan and stuff, but he's like a, a drug researcher, very intelligent, normal guy. But he like uses heroin like socially and stuff like that, right? Mm. And he has this really interesting kind of um philosophy and uh like you know books and stuff like that that talks about like we need to have a more mature conversation around drugs and alcohol yeah um and a hundred percent if it is affecting other people those other people can communicate that and you know put their boundaries up and stuff like that but this is the thing that sort of shocks a lot of people is that there is a lot of people that actually use drugs socially and it doesn't affect mm. other people, right? Um, but they might not talk about it or communicate when things kind of go wrong because there is like the stigma around it. You yep. know? Um, so it's kind of weird because some people then go like, ah, oh, that's fucked. You can't say people use ice like socially. And I'm like, ah, oh, you know. Yeah, yeah. I think, <laughs> look, anyone's a grown up. Anyone who's a grown up can yeah. make their own decisions and whatever. If you make a bad one, you make a bad one. Yeah. It's, the Joe Rogan thing's interesting that you mentioned that because he's obviously one of the most influential people in the world. Mm. And he often talks about DMT and hallucinogens, whatever, you know. Yeah. Um, but he says, I've never done coke. And I th- so he's, kids are listening to him. Yeah. And he's saying DMT, 
mushrooms, acids, cool. Yeah. Coke's not, right? Yeah. Whatever. Well, like, that's, he's yeah. allowed to say whatever he wants. Yeah. But that must have an impact on people worldwide. A hundred percent it does. Yeah. A hundred percent it does. And I guess this is why, like, <laughs> I wish that everybody could just have, like, the real conversation about drugs and alcohol in society. You know, there's the obvious stuff, like, everybody knows that alcohol, hands down, is the most harmful substance mm -hmm. to, like, the human population going yep. around, right? But it's also the most accepted. Correct, right? So, and, and that's such a strange, like, you know, phenomena, right? Mm -hmm. But then things like marijuana and stuff like that, um, yeah, have a very low, um, you know, harm that they have on the community and individuals themselves and all that stuff. But that's like kind of, and that's shifting and changing. People, yeah. look, I know that I agree with you. Yeah. I think that people think that weed is harmless and a lot of, like all the weed heads will probably tell me to shut up. But if you're predisposed to some sort of mental illness, it can bring that on. And I've seen it happen. Correct. I think a lot of people it's happened to. True. I'm not saying it's totally, it's going to fuck everyone up, yeah. but it does eventually to some people. I a hundred percent agree, but it's like the whole conversation around like vaping at the moment, right? Mm -hmm. it makes me laugh so much. And I've been involved in talking to the TGA and stuff like that about the whole thing. Right. And we just, uh, I, I'm not saying that just to allow, to give, as many drugs as we can to people and make it as accessible because I think our experience with alcohol shows that it fucks people up, right? Um, but taking this like kind of prohibition approach to it is actual madness because every example that we've had of that is crazy. So like with with vaping, they're just they're just about to or they have made it pres prescription only. All that's going to do 100% is create a massive black, black market. market. Yeah. Everybody's going to be doing it, right? Because the reality is, is no matter what we say, the laws that we put in place, highly desirable products, people want to use them. And they've been doing that to change and alter their state since the dawn of time. Mm -hmm. And if we can just have like a different conversation about it in society and just kind of go these are the effects of it and this is kind of what can happen and all that sort of stuff, then people are going to be more likely if things do start to go wrong to sort of put their hand up and say, yeah. hey, it's going wrong. You I know? think the government's definitely trying to take their slice of the pie with that yeah. and they're sort of passing it off with, oh, we're trying to do it for everyone's health and well-being. Yeah. I don't buy that as much. Uh, I mean, you know what I mean? Like yeah. they're, they're seeing lost revenue. Oh, I think it, I think, well, I think it's a mixture of things. I think one of the big things is that it kind of gets votes, you know, anytime mm. you can kind of go, we're saving the children, we're banning vapes. But see, what will happen is all these ones without flavor will come out, the people get their prescription, then yeah. they'll just buy the flavor that will add to it. It's just moving, it's robbing Peter to pay Paul, just changing the problem. Yeah, 100%. But so, so people are adults, if they want to taste, suck down some smelly water or vapor whatever it fucking is yeah. they're allowed to I think that's right that's right and so when it comes to like addiction I think the bigger thing is just um, <laughs> and without sounding like too much of a radical it's more about like addressing just how like our society operates and how we you know funnel people into different you know um, con consumeristic kind of models mm -hmm. which I like to buy shit as well, don't get me wrong. But you know, you can't avoid it though. The the way that our society's set up is kind of isolating people 
it, it's just stripping back all the stuff that makes people healthy that humans need mm-hmm. on a base level to feel okay psychologically emotionally um and and mentally as well and just on that point before so if i think about myself like with meth i remember the first time i so i was smoking speed um and uh meth was like that it was starting to be like around a lot, but there was still like speed around. Now I'm pretty sure you can't even really get like any yeah. speed or anything. Probably you can, but pretty much not. And I remember there was ads on the TV at that time where the, it would be like someone smoking meth and then they'd be like throwing chairs through um, mm. uh, like windows and stuff like that. If you just have like one path or you do it once, this is what's going to happen to you. And I remember when I did it, I was fucking scared as because it was like that thing like, oh, someone that uses meth is You like, think you're going to flick a switch and you'll be an addict and it's all over. I thought I was going to be kind of like, yeah, like a crazy werewolf monster type thing, right? And I remember I had it. That didn't happen. I had the time of my life. It was fucking awesome. Um and I remember consciously thinking like the next day or whatever, going, that that's like fucking bullshit. Like mm-hmm. what? So you think that's counterproductive because they're showing you what could happen. And when it doesn't happen, you're like, actually, I can handle this shit. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And I know that's like confront, like <laughs> particularly like for parents and all that sort of stuff, it's confronting. But again, when you just like lead with honesty and you, and you say like, hey, there is like some people that have used this and they don't get addicted straight away or or they don't get addicted at all or they do it every now and then and it's actually not a problem in their life. But the reason it's not a problem in their life is because they have all this healthy stuff going on mm. in the rest of their life, you know. And if you just have that honest conversation with, pe- with people, people are still going to do it, but yep. they're informed when but they're doing it. I guess, it. and like I'm a parent now, my kid's young and I know yeah. you're a parent, but it leads you to an... You want to be supportive, but you don't want to be too supportive, you know? So it 100%. leaves you in this balancing yep. act of like, okay, if you are going to do drugs, and not, it's not going to ruin your life straight away, but it could, you know what I mean? It's a yep. fucking hard thing for a parent to do. A hundred percent. And there, there is like, again, um, there is amazing um, like educational programs and stuff out there that can help parents, uh, teachers, all this kind of stuff to have like the conversation, but we just don't hear about it because <laughs> you turn on the news and the stories that people sensationalist, go correct? Like, yeah, correct. Icehead has done this, yeah. and yeah, yeah. Um, which sort of leads me to another thing where when you say some people can use drugs and it doesn't affect them too much, yeah, there must be a a um, constant sort of what's the word? There, there must be. A lot of people that do have issues, there's got to be a consistency that there might be trauma in their past or that sort of thing. Yeah. Do you find that? Yes. So, but I don't actually think, well, partly. So, this is where it gets complicated and this Mm -hmm. is part of the evolution that I've had in my own journey, which is really interesting. And now what we do with people, which we're finding that we're getting like really good results with is, so, so just to quickly explain, so- at the end of my addiction, I guess you could say I was at the pointy end. I was intravenously using meth. I was taking prescription pills, smoking pot, drinking all the time, just a fucking mess, right? Um, and I was young and I went to rehab and turned it around and was really lucky. The process that I went through was like a 12-step recovery model, which basically looks at addiction as a brain disease and essentially says, to put it really simplistically, that um, if you are an addict and you're addicted, that you're going to be addicted for life 
even if you're sober, right? And to um, counteract that, there's like, it's a spiritual solution and that you're going to have to kind of go to like 12-step meetings and be actively engaged in talking about your addiction and recovery for the rest of your life, right? You say that to people and and that's fucking daunting. Yeah, right? it is. It, it's like... If I understand personally that yeah. I probably have an, an issue with alcohol, I drink too much. But if you said you could never have a drink ever again, it's I'm going to run for the hills. Correct. But if you said you could manage it and maybe don't drink every day, just drink four nights a week or yep. blah, 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 then it starts to become a little bit more acceptable to these people that are, are addicted. Yeah, 100%. So, so, and that's what we see happens a lot with people. Like there is some people that flourish in that 12-step model, but the majority... Um, and again, it's really hard because there's not really any good evidence to kind of show what the. Well, it's all there are. really was for a long time, wasn't it? Correct, correct. It's kind of like the original shot yeah. at, and there's lots of good stuff in there. But so I went through that process. I was fucked. So I just kind of like swallowed it and made that my life and did that. But there was things right from the start that, you know, like just didn't kind of sit right with me. Well, never drinking again was mm. one. Um, all this sort of jazz, right? Uh, and sort of in the last like five to seven years, that sort of changed and shifted for me. Um, so I did not drink or I was stone cold sober for fucking nearly 10 years, right? Mm. Um, but I started meeting a whole bunch of different people, you know, like academic professors, um, other people that had done recovery different ways that did drink or did do drugs like socially or whatever it was. Um, and I started to kind of see things in a different light. Mm. And uh, 100%, there's no sort of one size fits all thing that kind of individual yeah yeah there's no like perfect little condom packet that goes over everyone's (laughs) head that you know helps them to understand addiction and all that and that sort of translates into um you know that whole thing about like trauma and stuff is that yes it definitely seems to indicate the research that trauma is prevalent for a lot of people that do have addiction but it's also prevalent in a lot of people that experience, um, you know, adverse like financial situations growing up, come from all different types of background, all this kind of stuff. Mm. Um, and as we said at the start, addiction doesn't discriminate as well. A lot of the people that I work with don't have any trauma in their life, yeah. significant trauma. And it's um, kind of occurred as a habitual, you know, process in their life, right? And and they're just as bad badly addicted and doing crazy shit as the person that had some horrific fucking yeah. thing happen to them. You know, yeah, so because it is yeah. it's it can it can affect everybody. Yeah. But you've got to think, I guess, from your personal uh story, you said that, you know, you had family and stuff so you you can come out of rehab and i guess which obviously it costs money which you know as well yeah so you can come out of that and you're not necessarily surrounding yourselves like obviously you cut off the people that you're using meth with and all that sort of stuff yeah some people they don't have that luxury i guess they come out and they're thrown back into where they like you the company you keep could be very detrimental correct and and this is why i think the process of recovery is really challenging because Mm. it's a multifaceted thing and And I guess if you were to put it in like categories, different people can have different um, challenges in different categories that make it harder or whatever, right? And I guess for me, when someone comes to to me and says that they have an addiction, the drug use is like the last thing that I think about, right? Mm Because you kind of got to work from it backwards. Because if you fix all the other stuff, 
the drug use transcends because they're not trying to escape yeah. through like the substance anymore and that's a big thing um they you know they call them social determinants of health um so yeah do you have a place to live do you have good family support do you have a good financial situation all that stuff yeah it significantly impacts someone's chance to recover and that's where i feel incredibly lucky that yeah, yeah. i do have good family support that's yeah. and i guess that's something that some people they, they they're they might be coming from a situation where their family used drugs with them. That's right. Which is it's horrible for them. Like, how would you come out of that and you and you still you're still surrounded by it? Yeah, a hundred percent. And I know people that have come out of those situations and then gone and their their families are still using drugs. You're like, you don't have stand a chance, yeah. man. A hundred percent. And look, it's. Again, this is why I just think more broadly, if you if you separate them, there's the there's the individual like approach that you take with people to look at someone's situation holistically and go, these are a range of different things that you need to do. Um, but just from like a you know societal perspective, is like how can we just increase um, like a more healthy society so that people are having more opportunities to experience like a healthy upbringing mm. with good like stable you know parents it's a big and, it's a big it's a it's yeah. a big challenge 100 percent. but that's what's going to happen i guess so with what with anybody who's suffering that to just go away for a month two months three months and yeah. I'm talk I'm, i've never looked into it but I'm, I'm presuming it costs tens of thousands of dollars it does. Type it does. scenario so that isn't an option for a lot of people yeah um and i think like you're saying before that we just think that rehab that's how you do it yeah. so i guess there's got to be an option for people that don't have that luxury yeah. and that can change their habits with i guess talking to someone like you or even just online or or making some sort of start yeah so it's it's shifting and changing these days which is cool but really and again this is why i'm always so big on like the stigma stuff trying to change the way that we talk about it change the language of people because it all feeds into this whole stereotype which then all feeds into the amount of money that flows from government into services and stuff to help people but yeah Unfortunately, the system in drugs and alcohol is fucked, right? <laughs> so if somebody, yeah. sorry to cut you off, but That's if right. somebody has an issue and they really know they have a problem, yeah. they don't have any family support, they don't have any money behind them, they might be on the dollar or whatever, yeah. and they go to a bulk billing GP and say, yeah. I have heroin addiction, I've got a meth addiction, whatever, yep. do they not offer them really any help except here's some morphine or this is the program? Like what is no, the No, not essentially. So, so yeah, so I guess that public health stream, again, stigma plays so much into it. It's something that um, public health officials are working on all the time is trying to get GPs and doctors to recognize someone as like an addicted person that comes into their clinic and fucking help them. Because often what happens is that they go, we don't want those fucking people here. Right. Mm. Um, but what is meant to happen and what does happen is that you go to the GP, you'll get a referral, um, into like the specialized alcohol and drug treatment system which is existent in all parts of australia chronically underfunded underfunded but is existent so they and are afforded the, the opportunity to go to a rehab yes. for 20 yeah. days or whatever yeah. Yeah. yeah but the challenge in that the challenge in that is again system so chronically underfunded it's designed by a bunch of fucking pencil People pushers right that um, have never touched drugs <laughs> in their life it's so fucking complicated 
I try and navigate it for people sometimes and, you know, I'm like a normal guy. I find it fucking hard and I have like connections and stuff like that in mm. the industry. Often what happens, so in Victoria, there's now a centralized intake system because um, the the sector is so chronically underfunded, there's not enough workers to be able to, uh, you know, meet the demand of that intake. So you could go to the GP, get a referral for an assessment and have to wait a month you could OD in that time you could your family's left you like that there is if someone hits the point where they (laughs) want to go to rehab they should be able to go check in right fucking then correct correct so if I had a magic wand and we couldn't fix too much but we could only work within the system that we had and not be able to change policies and all that stuff that's the first thing I would do is Mm. increase the access that people have to uh, to to treatment because yeah, we know that 100% that is such a big determining factor of someone getting help is them actually being able to and access And while it. they've got this anxious time of waiting, what do mm. you think they're going to do? They're going to turn to the thing that they're dependent to. Correct. So, yeah, that, that I guess it's a flawed system, but I guess at least we offer free services like that, which I guess a lot of other countries probably don't. Correct. And and to um <laughs> to give everyone a little story. So I was just with someone that runs um the Alcohol and Drug Foundation, which is the major um uh preventative uh health um organization in Australia for alcohol and drugs. They there's this massive international conference that happens, uh, I forget what it's called. I think it's the C and D C, right? Anyway, all the nations meet together and they just talk about different stuff that's happening in drug policy. She went to the prevention part of the conference and she walked in and the Russian guy, she told me, was talking about um sending people to Siberia <laughs> if they found out that they had a drug problem. And she she genuinely like stopped for a second and she thought, oh, like I'm in the wrong um, room or whatever. And she looked around and she, and she was like, oh no, it says prevention, you know? Wow. Like, so that is the perspective is that there's a long way to go, but uh, all that being said, we are kind of privileged if you compare it to In the any rest sort of, the of healthcare correct, correct. Uh, situation. Correct. Um, so, when you talk about addiction and people often think about drugs, you know, in all kinds of party yep. drugs, hard drugs, alcohol, which, you know, is very, very normalized in Australia, gambling is a massive one as well. Huge, huge. And, like, I know that as someone who still does enjoy a gamb a, a punt yeah um and for my family it's my family's done it forever you know yep. races and all that sort of stuff yeah um me too my family's a, a bookies so the nagel stand was at caulfield for a while there, there you yeah. go yeah my grandpa was also a bookie um one at the pub though one of the illegal <laughs> ones not far from here in port melbourne but uh it's been part of my family's culture for a long time um it it is now so fucking in your face yeah. that I think it's it it has to reach a turning point soon. Yeah. Um. And like, if I decided I didn't want to gamble, like a like a million people have. Yeah. Imagine just wanting to watch your team play footy or whatever, and you uh, have this stuff just thrown in your yeah. face all the time. Like, it's just not right. Man. So fuck. I wish I had the stats. I recently on our podcast interviewed um, this guy Tony Clarkson, who's the head of the Victorian gambling thing. I've listened to this. Yeah. Yeah, and and the stat. I wish I'm not very good with stats. Um, but I think it averages out to about 32 ads every hour. Um, 
every 20. And it shouldn't be in the actual broadcast, I believe, as well. Shocking. And I know now they kind of have a bit of a loophole where it is an ad, and then Nathan Brown will be like, all right, and these are the odds that happening here because it's not in the ho- But it's like- So Australia definitely has some of the loosest laws in the world around gambling advertising, and we know- from all accounts, and again, this is why I, I never knew, used to know any of this stuff, but this is why all the public health stuff is actually important. And it's not about, you know, being a fucking party pooper because I like to have a bet. I like to have a beer, all that stuff, right? But we we know that gambling ads um, during sporting coverage, you know, uh, alcohol advertising, grand final day, domestic violence increases by 50%. Mm. Um, you know, all this stuff. Like, yeah, we know, <laughs> we just know how much of an impact it has on people. And, yeah. and it has to. And also, like, I think a lot of the big sporting codes, they are okay with it because they know, okay, say it's Fremantle GWS yeah. on a Saturday. Yeah. Now, people aren't going to watch that from a normal viewer's perspective. That's right. But when there's gambling involved, they they probably, you know, a lot more people are going to tune into that and a lot more people are going to pay attention. Yeah. And to, they even have, like, the official gaming partner and stuff. like that. they got to yeah. fucking sort that out. The, eight, this was ages ago. We did a um, podcast with um, this guy, Alan Christensen. He used to play for Geelong and then he went to Brisbane um, and had that big gambling story and all that. He's doing great stuff in the space, but... I actually flew up there to do it with him at the Gabba, which was really cool. But I remember it was really kind of a strange thing and he couldn't say anything at the time, Mm. but he was just saying to me off the mic, he was just like, I can't, like, this is crazy because the club was supporting him to like do this podcast to talk about gambling harm and all this stuff. But then their major sponsor that came on that year was like Ned's or something, you know? Mm. And then like he would like run out with the jumper on, but then he was like doing all these articles. Talk about mixed signals for kids though. (laughs) And this is the thing, kids find sports people so they idolise them. Yeah. And when they're wearing that, that jumper with that on it, like it's it's yeah yeah I just don't think that's cool and I reckon we need to something needs to change with that sort of stuff. Yeah. Gambling should be anyone is allowed to gamble, yeah. but I just don't think it should be so pushed out yeah. everyone's throat. A hundred percent. And like you know, it, it it is kind of frightening. Like you know, there's having seen this now at the at the policy level. Like we've only just got a few things changed around, you know, like alcohol and 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 advertising in sport and everywhere else with mm. alcohol, and it's still like really bad. But now there's all like digital media, which they're just so behind on all this stuff. So yep. it really is rife. And you're right. Like so, there's people would probably say to me if I laid out what I would love to be able to do with all that stuff, they would probably say you're a radical. But your everyday Joe can just be like, no, that's ridiculous. Yeah. Like, we like to have a punt, but seriously, come but, on. But, yeah, yeah, look, each, each <laughs> to their own, but I just feel for people that are trying to remove that from their lives yeah. because they might have lost their fucking house or their partner's left them or yeah. whatever. They can't pay their child support yeah. and they just want to watch the football or they're just tuning into the whatever and they get that ram down their throat. I just think that that's not really cool. No, not at all. As I- somebody who still does punt myself i just think it's not right couldn't agree with you couldn't agree with you and more. it's it's like i watch the nba and stuff and they it's like america's pretty far behind with that sports yeah. stuff and now they're starting to it's obviously legalized in more places yeah but i remember going to the states 10 15 years ago trying to tell people there we could go to any pub anywhere yeah. and you could bet on any sport you wanted and they yeah. thought that was 
bizarre. Like yeah. you had to go to Vegas then, but now it seems like they're legalizing it more. And yeah, and I think they're digging themselves into a hole there. A hundred percent. And the other one, the other one is the pokey. So I don't um, I because I didn't even know this. I found this out um, uh, like a, about a year ago. So I don't shop at Woolworths anymore. Um, because yeah, they're the, uh, other than the casinos, they're the biggest owner of like pokey machines, mm. um, in the country. And it's just shown time and time again that like, yeah, there's not really a social element that happens with pokies. Like pretty much everybody that plays pokies uh, is really struggling and, and, and they actively fucking target people, you know, totally are struggling. I, I've got a theory with pokies and the pub around the corner backs this up. Yeah. Every single suburban pub with pokies that I can think of that's in the sort of inner city area is next to, adjacent to, or within a two-minute stroll of, like, high-rise housing condition yep. sort of places. Like, yep. pretty much all of them. Yeah. They're across the road. They're right there. And I think that that's not a coincidence. Yeah. No. Which is fucking really, really, really sad. I know. And, and I agree. And it... um. It's the same with alcohol, you know. Um, well, there was that case recently in the NT where, um, again, Woolworths, De- I think it was a Dan Murphy's, they wanted to open it um, near like a dry community. Mm. Um, and the whole community said no, that everybody said no, but they like forced it through and wanted to open it. And it wasn't until it got like national media attention, but there was no other way that you could look at that and say they weren't putting, they were putting it there. Like, because that's where, like, vulnerable people, people would be, like, yeah. you know? So, and don't get me wrong. I'm like, I have too many beers still to this day sometimes. But, like, you know, I just think you're right. It's when it's wrong is when it just crosses the line into... Well, they're making... Yeah. They're putting these things there because... So, they know vulnerable people aren't strong enough. Yeah. And that's just... It's kicking people when they're down more than anything. A hundred percent. And, yeah, the whole pokies thing, like, I, I, like, I don't mind gambling... But I think pokies are horrible. Yeah. I There was a pub. I lived in St. Kilda for a lot of my life. And there was a pub that was open. I lived on Chapel. There was a pub that yeah. was open after one o'clock. So we'd be going out somewhere and we'd come back and we'd have a beer. And when the lockdown happened, I thought this is probably the one of the only positive things we had out of lockdown is yeah. I thought all these people that played the pokies all the time, it'll break their habit for them and force it to. Yeah. And I would sit there at the bar, talk to some of the bar staff, and uh, and I'm like, as soon as things changed, all those people came back again, like nothing changed, yeah. which is super sad, you yeah. know? That was like a forced rehab for them. <laughs> I know. It's fu- it's, it is like, yeah, I, I, I'm 100% with you. Uh, and I think that's the message that we have to give with people because I think sometimes people can think like you're just trying to wreck the fun. But it's like it's it's not that it's it's just stopping the crazy amount of advertising, the preying on vulnerable people, and just the way that we talk about it in society. Mm. And then you can let people be people, and people can do whatever the fuck they want to do. Yeah, so that that sort of leads me to something. So like you've said that you still drink and and whatever, but I think a lot of people that I know that have come out of rehab, they don't because they know that I'll have a few beers yep. and then I'll have a line and then before you know it, yep. it's Wednesday and I'm back to doing my own yeah. old things. So yeah. do you feel that you're you're just managing it better? Is that how it- Yeah, so good question. So yeah, I don't 
or first thing I'll say is that if you're doing what you just described, you've had a really serious problem with drugs and alcohol. You don't want to do it anymore. Fucking like awesome. Love it. That's the best thing. You should do that. That's great. Like I'm not trying to talk anyone into doing something that doesn't work for them, but I've found the far majority of people don't want to do that. And a lot of people don't even get to rehab because they're scared off by the mm. prospect of that in the first place. So for me, I don't believe that you're like anybody is like an addict, right? And I think what we should stop calling people that, like I believe that 100% people have addictive like tendencies, right? But I think it's on a spectrum and I think it's everything else that impacts that. And the conversation needs to start being around um, you know, mental health, managing your good and having really good mental health that then impacts and can play out with like your addiction as well, right? So, mm -hmm. and and I think like in that 12 step thing, a thing that happened to me for a long time was that even though I was like sober for 10 years, I was telling myself that I was an addict mm -hmm. every day and identifying like that and it became part of my identity. So so the drugs are still yeah. consuming you to a point because you're still letting them rule your life. Correct, mm. correct. So, and, and it was really interesting when I went through that shift of not thinking about myself like that anymore, um, that don't get me wrong, I can still drink too much. And uh, there's been times where I've gotten drunk where I didn't want to, um, mm. or I didn't intend on that on that night or whatever, right? But I no longer have that thing that when I, I used to have that bad, but when I take a drug that I just want to fucking have another one. I <laughs> but do you think I, yeah. with, with your helping people that because you've come from that, it makes people uh, feel that you're a little bit more legitimate? Like, do you know what I mean? Uh, I think so, Rather yeah. than just someone sitting there who's yeah. got a degree in whatever saying, oh, well, just don't do it, you yeah. know? A hundred percent, I think so. And it did for me. So um, that was the thing that helped me to turn it around was the person that I spoke to had a completely different story from me. They were actually like really hoity-toity, just drank alcohol and they were from fucking Turak, I think. Um, but he explained to me just like how he thought and felt and all that stuff. And I never heard anybody talk like that before. And I was like, fuck, that is exactly how I think, feel, mm -hmm. all that stuff. And that didn't fix me, but what it did was sort of open up the door of trust for me to kind of believe him essentially and go, maybe this can work for me too. And then engaging in the therapy and stuff on that level. And then I was able to kind of get better. If that so makes you sense. think the therapy is probably the biggest thing rather than the physical addiction? Uh, yes. Yeah, definitely. So a hundred percent there's a withdrawal process that needs to happen for most drugs but if you talk to most people there's a point or or they can regularly they can stop right staying stopped and feeling happy about it is the tricky part yeah you know because um, yeah. a lot of people i guess with those sort of personalities will fill one void with another sort of thing correct yeah correct. and yeah. i guess that's what they people have to learn new procedures to make sure that they don't do that correct and i always say to people um so, so to give like, even though there's not, to give the one size fit, fits all condom to someone, right? What I sort of prescri would prescribe to people is that I would say, hey, you've crossed the uh, invisible red line and this is not 
like this is an addictive pattern now and you have to acknowledge that and accept it. We need to go a good period of time off it, right? Um, at least six months, but preferably like 12 months or longer. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is off all drugs? Like if they have a problem with meth, yeah. are they still allowed to have a beer? I, I would say try and get off all drugs mm-hmm. for at least six months, right? Because one will lead to the other? Correct. Yep. And, and, and also it's kind of about like that biochemical process that's happening in your system because that's real as well, like that physical side of it. Um, but that's not just for the sake of getting sober. What that is to allow you to do is to have that blank canvas to actually then engage in the therapy, re- like identity is such a big thing with this stuff that nobody talks about, but I think it's like one of the biggest things, rebuild your identity, find Cause out- Because if you're known as that guy who was always partying, now you need to figure out what you're- Correct. What, what, what Correct. Gives you, yeah. And it's not like you'd walk around thinking, oh, this is my, I'm the drug addict identity. It's like unconscious stuff, mm. but it's there for a lot of people. Um, so to work through all of that, to build your life back up, create like a cool life that you don't want to lose, you know, all that stuff. Yep. And then if you want to, after that period of time, then we can look at like reintroducing alcohol or substances back into your life in, in a controlled in manner. a controlled way mm-hmm. and like let's have some really clear fucking boundaries and you know rules about what that looks like and all that sort of stuff not so that we can go oh you're an addict you can't do it anymore but just so that we know when we've gone too far and we might need to reset all that stuff yeah, yeah so, so i think it's good now that there's a lot more zero alcohol beer and all that sort of 100%. stuff so when people want to go to a you know they might have an engagement they can take that and people aren't shunning them you know i think a while ago people would have been like what are you doing drinking that no you don't drink that it's fucking so now people can just drink that stuff and they can still feel like they're doing the fair dinkum aussie thing yeah 100 percent. and when i first got sober that was that was one of the more annoying things is that when you went out and you said you weren't drinking i'm not a fucking physical specimen um i'm scarred off alcohol forever so i I couldn't say like i'm training um people would just sort of know that you had an issue with it and then you know not because they're being rude but they would just like be inquisitive and Mm. ask you a question or something and then you find yourself kind of lying or explaining your fucking story or whatever and it's just shit you know so i think the culture around that changing has been really cool to see and i've seen i've noticed a lot of people like i'm 40 myself and people that are my age or even younger and some people that are older that have said we just don't drink anymore like i know some people that just go no i just don't anymore and they're people that are even in the booze industry they're just like well i decided it's not for me and i just don't think we were seeing that 10 years ago yeah 100 percent. i agree couldn't agree with you more so if i could ask you a question you said a couple times oh i drink too much right we don't have to go into how much or whatever but (laughs) but like how would you feel if you you were like feeling depressed or something right for Mm -hmm. a couple of weeks Maybe the alcohol was impacting on it, but that's not really the core thing. It's because of something else. And you came to me and you told me how much you drank and you said, yeah, I think I drink a little bit too much. And I said, oh, well, you're an alcoholic, right? How how would you feel? No, I would agree with you. I am an alcoholic. So you think you're an alcoholic? Yeah, 100%. And you're comfortable with like saying it like that? It's a funny scenario. So for years, I DJ'd and that's all I did, which obviously alcohol plays a big part yep. in that. I'm going out and whatever. Yeah. Then I started doing this other thing, like I've run the trivia business, which then was also encouraging booze. So for yep. the last 15, 20 years, I've been working in bars and nightclubs and drinking, and we're encouraging drinking. Yeah. So yep. from an early age, 
I was the guy who had all the drink cards yeah. to give them out to people. Like I'm, <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's yeah. all, it's been like that. And so then I've got to a stage now when I'm old enough to probably know better. Yeah. And I have stopped drinking as much because yeah. I'm not partying all the time. Yeah. But I still, I still stay at home and I'll watch the footy and whatever, have a drink. My yeah. partner drinks. Yeah. My neighbor across the road. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's, I do it too much. Yeah. I'll be the first to yeah. admit it, yeah. which I know that I am an alcoholic. Yeah. yeah. But if something drastically happened, yeah. I think I could be like, okay. Yeah. I need to, you know. So, and because it's it's interesting to me because, you know, like I'm aware, I, I always like never want to lose touch with all this stuff and mm -hmm. talk to people. And a lot of the people I talk to are coming because shit's going wrong in their life and whatever. But like, does that sit comfortably with you to like describe it like that? Or is it better to just to say like, yeah, oh, sometimes I drink too much, you know? Well, I'm just going to call a spade a spade. Yeah. Like, yeah. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I think yeah. most of the people that know me well, they're like, yeah, he's always having a beer. Yeah. Um, I don't feel, and this is, I don't feel that it's ruined my life. Yeah. So that's why I guess I'm still yeah. cool with it. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, well, yeah. Who knows? One day, I, I did do dry. I did dry July five years ago. It popped up on Facebook the other day. Yeah. So that was a trying month, but yeah. I, I have gone some stints. Do you think? Do you think like if you really wanted to, and you just made a lot for whatever reason, that you could just stop? Like I did that five years ago. Yeah. Um, and my neighbour who I drink with pretty much all the time, yeah. he's doing Dry July right now. Yeah. Um, and so he'll have a non-alcoholic beer. I'll have a non-alcoholic yeah. beer with him just to yeah. to do the right thing. Yeah. Um. So I I think I could, but I just yeah. I don't know. It's part of me, and I just and I sort of enjoy it. Yeah. Which is the awesome. thing. Yeah. You know. Me too. But, yeah. <laughs> um. And, like, when I drive, like, tonight, you know, I had a beer before we were here, but I just have a water. Oh, I've got to drive home. Like, yeah. it's not like I'm drinking first thing in the morning. Yeah. It's more of, you know, that, yeah. and my and I feel like I've built myself into this life where I can kind of do that. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah it's, it's interesting, right? Like, and to me, like, and, and I just think this is where we have to, like, get it with people is just, like, to just stop like that moralization like because you're saying that to me and i'm like oh so the alcohol guidelines you probably drink more than the alcohol guidelines right mm -hmm. but is that actually really a problem right <laughs> you know everyone's <laughs> kind of different and like go. i feel like it is yeah. a, a, a bit, like i've got a, a lot of tattoos and beers i don't know it's just a part of me i like i yeah. enjoy that i don't drink spirits yeah i don't really take any other drugs yeah, yeah. just drink yeah yeah there you go right <laughs> yeah it's interesting i'm on the addiction podcast i feel like i'm telling people it's fucking okay to, no, to no, do no, drugs you, you, and drink you, and whatever let's, but, let's yeah. talk about your actual podcast because i've been we're look it's been a great chat but we just we haven't even got there so yeah. real drug talk so yeah. you came up with this during lockdown uh no so well the podcast yes, yes but so just like what kind of happened and it's been a part of my personal evolution as well is that yeah i had my own problem went into working in rehabs and treatment centers. And then what happened was, um, which was a fucking horrible experience. In a lot of ways, I wish I never did it, to be honest with you, but I did. <laughs> um, and it was good for some career stuff though. Um, but uh, like when the inverted commas ice epidemic happened, I, I, like I did a story with like the Herald Sun. They plastered me all over the front page. I was like had a two page spread. And then I did every single media outlet um, mm. in Australia in like the next week. 
um, which was full on. And that was really like, uh, yeah, I didn't enjoy it. There was a lot of like stuff that came back that just, yeah, wasn't, wasn't personally enjoyable for me. Um, but the cool thing that happened out of it was that on like messenger, I had like 2000 people just message me and go, wow, I fucking never ever heard anyone talk like that before all that sort of stuff. And that's kind of where it happened. And, and that's like what we've been doing. So that was in like 2014, 15, something like that. Um, and we started doing like speaking gigs and all that kind of shit. Um, and then, yeah, in lockdown, um, uh, I was doing a lot of like government stuff for a while, doing like drug policy things. Um, and then, yeah, in lockdown, we we're just like, couldn't really go anywhere sitting around. And yeah, so we started the podcast and it's been really cool. It's like, I was surprised early on right like so it's not massive like a yeah like a joe rogan or anything no, like but that you've but you've got a core audience and the, you, you know, know thousands of people listening every week it kind of blows me away i'm like wow you know so yeah it's interesting and we try and we try and cover it all like the spectrum so people's personal stories how they got recovery of people listening for that reason uh i guess professionals in the space to kind of talk about all the different stuff, some of the stuff we've been talking about tonight. And, um, you know, like, oh, I want to do a bit more like family stuff. And I also want to do, that's the kind of vision in the next year is um, some more like original media stuff. Like maybe try and go find like some drug dealers or mm. people still like actively involved doing just to get the different perspectives because I think it's interesting. To yeah, people, totally. Know. I think, um, it, it. do you find that the audience is predominantly people who have addiction, people that are recovering or medical professionals or a bit of everything? It's a bit of everything actually, yeah. So um, it's hard to monitor, but we've got like a newsletter that we do now um, uh, because, yeah, we wanted a place where we could just kind of like put out some of the more like longer form ideas that I'm talking about, mm -hmm. you know, tonight. And it's easier to just explain it in one run without it sounding crazy. Um, and we get, predominantly get a lot of health professionals signing up yep. to that. Um, but the majority of people that message us privately, yeah, people that are, have addictions or are using drugs that don't think they have a problem and just interested in drugs and stuff like that, you know? So, mm. yeah, I think it's the a whole gamut of, a of everybody. Yeah. 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 And I guess you, it must be good when you get the positive stories of people like, I saw this podcast and now I'm on my own journey and blah, blah, yeah. blah. Yeah. We've had heaps of people. It's been, it's been awesome. So th there's a few people that come through, um, like we've got a, a program that we run that's like a recovery program. So there's like a few people that contact us that have heard the podcast and come through there and that's always cool. But then there, there's lots of people that have just like listened to the podcast that have like messaged us and said, you know, we've used this and that thing and it's helped us and whatever. So yeah, it's been cool. It's mm. been really cool. And like there's a guy that I knew that you had on recently, Kane, and he has turned his addiction into a whole sort of a similar sort of thing where he's helping people. And, yeah. and I guess a lot of people do do that. They f they figure out that they needed help and they sort of see a gap in the market where they're like, well, I need to help people in this, this respect. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. So, and that's essentially what happened to me as well. Uh, you know, I was telling you, I think before we started recording, like, uh, yeah, after the sporting stuff, I was just one of those people that just had no idea what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And it was such a life-changing, profound experience that I had because I'd seen other services before that and just didn't connect with it. Um, but yeah, when, when I went through that service and met those people with the lived experience, I was like, fuck, that's, 
that's awesome. Maybe I'll just go and study that. And it's kind of just naturally and organically unfolded from there. You know, I think, um, with the internet, some good stuff comes, some bad stuff comes. I think a lot of people now can see things glamorized with social media. Um, but you can also see the other side of it where you can see people's downfall as well. So I guess you might get people now that are triggered by something that happens on social media. They're like, fuck, is this what I look like? You know what I mean? Yeah. A hundred percent. There's, there's definitely like, like what you were talking about before. I think about that a lot. Like there is some concerning stuff about how it influences young people. Like a big one that we're seeing a lot is like, you know, all the stuff with like lean and all that. Like mm. that's kind of big these days. And that's all from fucking rappers and shit yeah. like that. You know, um, then there's like positive stuff, like what we're doing, celebrities talking about whatever. When um, you see someone yeah. like Steve-O getting clean, you're like, fuck, yeah. if he can do it, I think we all, that's you so know, cool. anyone could. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. Like I, I still like, yeah, like so Russell Brand was like a big, I actually met that guy in person oh, cool. when, when he was like coming down a tour, he's like a really good dude. He comes to like recovery meetings and stuff like that. I don't agree with some of the things that he says now, but he's just fucking awesome. Like, it's so cool to have them. Steve-O, you know, like love, fucking loved all that stuff that that guy would like put out, all those things that he talks about, all of that. Like, it is really cool to see like the power of, yeah, social media and how, how but it But I guess change. like, I don't know if you've seen... Um shooter williams in the last few days on tiktok and stuff but he's like nah. he's look like he's hit rock bottom again i guess and and that stuff you know mm. has a people can look at that and be like fuck man like this yeah. i don't want to end up like that so i feel like in a roundabout way it can have a positive effect a hundred percent oh yeah i agree i agree again I, i'm just a big believer is that you just fucking be honest with people and just let people talk and mm. just let people explain their genuine perspectives and experiences um, even if it's kind of a bit like, whoa, <laughs> um, but it will help. Like you never know who's going to connect with it for whatever reason, you know, when you've got people come and you speak to them, I guess you sort of have to look into their home life and their family life as well, because there might be generational yeah. cycles that you need to break and that sort of thing. Most definitely all yeah. the time, even like, so on like a personal recovery level, like I'm really, yeah, I'm really into like identity, unconscious, like negative belief systems, all that stuff. And everybody has them, right? Um, You don't have to have like a super like fucked up experience, but everybody has them. And that's the stuff that is kind of impacting the way that people are like thinking about themselves and the rest of the world, which then impacts, you know, the actions that they take, um, the decisions that they make, which then leads to whatever's happening in their life, you know? So... 100% 100% that's what you that's get you help someone get off it then then you start going into all that stuff like what's the family dynamics what's the story that you've told yourself about yourself as a result of those consciously or unconsciously how's it playing out in your behavior what do we need to change and when you change those practical things that's when things you know mm. sort of change in people's life it's it's interesting like I'm, i i often think of this when you think about helping people you can't help someone who won't help themselves which i yeah. think is definitely true to an extent but they need to be willing to make those changes for any of the shit that you're going to do to work true correct and so yeah like i agree you can't help somebody until they want to you help can sort of guide them in the but right you direction. can guide them in the right direction you can influence them you can put them in front of information and education that could, you know, 
set the light bulb off in their mind that you know and i've seen that time and time again with with people um and it's and it's amazing to see i did used to see that a lot that's one of the very powerful things in like 12 step meetings you know like i remember i distinctly remember this one guy i won't like blow his cover but he was pretty fucking rough and ready he was just out of the nick life of crime stuff like that mm-hmm. um and there was just a guy talking and he was like talking he was like a dude that had been clean for like 20 years um and this guy had no interest in getting sober i think he was there just for like jail or whatever and the guy just said something that like clicked with him and he was just like inspired he fucking put his hand up he said oh, i'll have a talk came up spoke everybody got around him he lives a completely different life to this day that was just that light bulb moment that's right so it's just yeah you never know like what things are going to happen and and it's so important to not give up on people and and try and i guess from a individual's perspective they don't want to give up on themselves because you might try to get clean or you might try to kick an addiction that may not work the first few times but eventually yeah. it might that's right well again going back to some of the stuff we we're talking about before like sounds strange again but you know if people come to me um and they're using let's just say they're using ice every day three points a day right we'll go yeah we want to work on stopping that but if you like bring that down to like one a day um that's a win right and then next week let's go for and there's this fallacy that people think like which is kind of true that if you have one you're just going to do it anyway but if you're feeling like progress and momentum and Mm. you're on the right path a hundred percent like and and if you go uh three months and you fucking pick up again or something like, don't go, oh, I'm a fucking addict. Don't beat yourself um, up about it, yeah. Whatever. Who cares? Like, you did it once. Like, that's amazing in the, this whole three months. You're doing it every day. You did it once. Let's look at where you made some of the mistakes and, like, like keep moving forward. That that kind of stuff, you know? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think that that sort of thought process would definitely help a lot of people make the f- initial steps because they may not be – they know that they've hit a point that they're not really happy with yeah. but they also they're not ready to go totally cold turkey because yeah. that's just too daunting for them that's right and you don't know what you don't know right like and it's honestly profound like the the mental and emotional shifts that you have when you start to go on the process um and i actually think engaging someone and convincing him just to start going through a process is the biggest thing that you can do Mm -hmm. because once you get him in the process you have a very good chance that there's going to be something that fucking bings bings off and they go this is awesome i do want to live my life like that you know what i mean Mm. um yeah so it's just important to get people started and going on something and it's and it would be such a shame to exclude someone because they're not at a certain threshold at that point in time you know yeah like when we were saying before with the celebrities and you see some celebrities that uh obviously they're not obviously but pretty much i i believe the drug of choice for those sort of people is coke yeah which is pretty normalized and pretty accepted in (laughs) australia um and when you see like there was a jockey the other day and she got done doing some lines and there's influences and all that stuff. And then a lot of people are like, well, everyone's doing it. Do you find that that's a negative way of thinking? Like when they say everyone's doing it, a lot of people are. Yeah. And I don't think it's ruined their lives. Yeah. But is that normalizing it to a point? Uh, Yeah, it's hard. I don't know. It's like, so I would probably say, I know it's news because it's someone that is of, um, 
uh, interest to the public. But that example, I think it's fucked that they show the videos and mm. stuff like that. You know, like, so there could be a number of things going on. She, she could have, um, like, you know, challenging stuff going on in, in her life. She might not. Like, there could be a whole bunch of things going on. But I just think, like, it's really fucking irresponsible for like the media to put that stuff up mm. but the media doesn't have any scruples with sh anything you know what that's i mean right. sorry it's, that's you're right not, you're not but, uh, but I, I guess and the reaction that people have and kind of saying that it's so wrong is what encourages the media to keep doing mm. it and i think I, I do know what you're saying and i kind of agree on on some point like we shouldn't just like normalize and go fucking whatever but we also just shouldn't like keep feeding that like sort of outrage around mm. it um yeah I, I think that what happens a lot with that sort of stuff in the mainstream media the people that don't understand drugs in general yeah like say my nan she's got no idea yeah she wouldn't she'd think that that's the same as heroin and ice and whatever because these yeah. guys had a couple of lines when they were having a few drinks because yeah. some people just think well that's all drugs yeah so i think it, it helps because the, at least that way now people can sort of have the conversation they do do that and maybe it doesn't affect them that doesn't ruin their whole lives yeah so a lot of people just lump all that drug shit yeah. in together do you think um do you think that we should like um legalize drugs in society decriminalization is definitely one thing yeah um legalization is a is another thing again i think that would potentially just be the government trying to get their slice of the pie because yeah. then they can look at how much tax they take off boot like booze like mm. i know a lot of people in the hospitality industry and that that increase goes up every six months yeah you know yeah and that's just the government being greedy and, yeah and taking from an industry, you know, that gets me into the lockdowns, which I won't touch on. But I feel like if the government did legalize things, it'd just they'd just want to take their slice. Yeah. So, so is that the reason why you would think that we shouldn't legalize? Well, I don't know, man. It, it puts it into a people always want to do something that's illegal, right? To, I think that's sort yeah. of human nature. Yeah. So if you legalize one thing, is it going to push it in a, another way? Like, yeah. I guess you could do case studies on what's gone on in the US where they've legalized weed. Has that changed drug culture? Yeah. From what I'm seeing on social media, it looks like they're still pretty fucked over there. Yeah, yeah. Like, well, they'll just figure out another way to get hot <laughs> fentanyl and all that sort of yeah. stuff. But so, so, like, it's interesting. I always like asking people because, it, again, it's been a journey for me. I, I think we most definitely should, right? Mm -hmm. yep. And it doesn't mean that it has to look like alcohol. <laughs> like you can go down to the IGA and get a fucking bag of smack or something. <laughs> no. <laughs> but um, but I think, I, I definitely think that we should. Like, I think it would eliminate organized crime and a big chunk of their sort of business in a heartbeat, right? Yep. Um, and also, um, I think, yeah, people might be using drugs, but again, like to me, that's almost like a, not the most important thing because heaps of people are using alcohol and fucking totally. other people up as well, you know? But like, it will stop like all the people going to prison and all the other shit that happens. And the cyclical thing when they go to prison, they come out, they get back on it, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. I the organized crime thing is an interesting one because I think that they might look, those sort of groups are going to find a way to make money and they might go of into course. different 
other avenues to try and yeah. recoup this money. So I don't know whether that's necessarily going to fix a lot. I don't of know money. if it'll fix it, but it'll def like surely like in organized crime. I would say, without knowing much, but I would say that drugs would have to be pretty much the biggest revenue source for all of organised crime on a number of different levels. And if you like, just took that out, the the, the demand for manufacturing and um, the production of it, and took that all legally, that's gone. So how do you see this process working? So you go, can somebody say, they go to their doctor and they say, you know what, it's my birthday, mm. wouldn't mind trying Coke, ice, some party drug, whatever it is, yeah. and then the doctor writes them a prescription. <laughs> like, How does this actual process yeah, work in your, good- in your free, in your <laughs> decriminalised- It's a good question. Like, I think, um, I think there is a lot of nuances and it would be about uh, assessing it off like a harm basis and, you know, for the- which then does bring alcohol into an interesting fucking conversation as well. Because if you think about not only like to kind of society, which you could argue is largely because of the prevalence of it, but also actually what it does to you like health wise Mm -hmm. compared to other substances, it is like worse than a lot of other ones. Right. Um, But yeah, you would have to kind of look at all those different factors and sort of, put those more harmful ones yeah on maybe like a prescription basis but then yeah like things like probably weed and then some sort of like stimulants creating some kind of a a market for people and what they've seen in portugal right so where they did um do some of this stuff is that they they saw an uptick in drug use but they saw a mat but the reason why they did it was because they had a um uh hiv aids crisis right they saw a downtick in all of that they they've seen a massive decrease in all the other like stuff that happens in society in terms of you know violence and all these kind of things and that's really kind of i suppose what what we want and this is where it gets into the interesting conversation about moralizing the use of like Mm. substances right and having a problem with substances is different to having them available and allowing people to use them. Then obviously we should have services and stuff set up to help people if they do encounter a problem. There's you know? always, and I I love your utopia kind of view that it'll <laughs> all work amazingly, but I think that- what, Well, no, I don't think it no, would all work amazingly. But I, 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 yeah, I love your optimistic outlook with it, but I think what would tend to happen a lot and we see it already with prescription drugs is people would get this stuff and then they would sell it. You know what I mean? Like people do with Zannies or fucking whatever it is. So I think that would happen a lot as well. But if there was the the ability, you know, like I'm fucking no good with like chemical compounds, but, you know, like say if we could get stuff out there on the market that – that that allowed people to use opiates say Mm. and they could get a prescription for instance but they could only they could only get it like once every fucking four weeks or something like that or whatever right we would still have overdose deaths but i think it would eventually not straight away it would probably increase to start with but eventually it would take away 
the demand because there wouldn't be, as you said, that sort of illusion of like, oh, what is that? Can yeah. I use that? That kind of thing. You but know? it does open up a real Pandora's box because if you're a GP and, and this person is addicted to whatever, it's an opiate, then you can prescribe them something. But if it's some kid that comes in and goes, I just want to have a crack at this, do they yeah. then say, well, no, you don't. Well, what are you but doing? That, that's right. So, that, like, again, I think we would be able to take the lessons from alcohol, you know, so the age that mm. you're allowed to, like, use those substances goes up um, probably p way past 18. Um, you know, that there might be, like, a bunch of different, like, thresholds that you have to, that you have to meet. But I just think... There would still definitely be drawbacks to it, I agree. But I think on the level of like all the harm that is created in society as a result of everything that kind of comes along with drugs, the crime, the um, the institutionalization of people, the stigma, the yeah. all of that, that's worth kind of changing, which will breed and adapt healthier and create a healthier environment for other people moving forward in the future yeah i look it's definitely an, an interesting one and we're probably taking a step in the right direction with the cannabis thing and other yeah. countries are doing it we have the beauty of hindsight where we can sit back and watch other countries that have done it and use that as a case study yeah. and be like well this worked and this didn't work yeah but i think we're probably a long way away from legalizing anything yeah. personally oh, i think so too i think it'll be fucking ages right because yeah the <laughs> we're so we're so so run by just like archaic sort of ways of thinking about things but yeah it, it, it is super frustrating that we won't just start with like a few a few things and on that point that's the other thing that angers me is like in our space so the tga came and you know um released the regulations for therapeutic use of psychedelics and stuff like that and now it's happened is that like all the people that have been, oh, not all the people, but a lot of people that have been advocating for that to happen have kind of like started complaining about it now and said, oh no, they've done it too quickly. They haven't taken like some precautions, stuff like that. It's going to affect this. It's only going to be accessible to like people that have money. And, and some of those arguments are true and valid, but it's like, come on, man. Like that's huge progress. Shut mm -hmm. the fuck up. I know that there's like problems. Stop like being negative. We've had like progress work with you know the system and the people to get it more favorable as we go but you know like we, we've also got to stop shooting stuff down when there is like progress what's that saying like don't let the don't like perfect be the enemy of good type type attitude you know so even though we haven't legalized anything you know you've got the safe injecting room yeah now what's your stance on on that yeah so look admittedly they're fucking stupid that they put it next to the primary school. Like, come on. The, but the, uh, the, that's uh, agreed. But, but there's never going to be a good spot for it. No one's ever yeah. going to be like, yep, put it next to us. Yeah, correct. True. Um, but yeah, I think they should. I, th I definitely think they should have it. Um, I probably I probably wouldn't say um, that they need to like have like lots of them like the the the, the new proposed one or I, I can't even remember now if it's going ahead but the other one that's going to be in the big market mm. i'm not sure about like the heroin because mainly that's what it's for or the drug problem around there but definitely north richmond like i used to go back down there and score back in the day it was mm. fucking hectic like mm. and anybody that says to me that um, it's attracting drug users is fucking lying because they're all there. Anyway. They were there. I've seen, I was there waiting for, to go into a meeting. I 
work with some venues there and I just saw this whole bunch of people there just waiting. One dude came, they all followed him. He's obviously doing the deal. Yeah. And that was going on before the injecting room was there. A hundred percent. So, and this is what annoys me, even like that school thing. So they shouldn't have put it next to that, but people always bring that up. Right. And the, I hate the hysteria around it. It really annoys me because people aren't telling the truth. They're selectively picking facts, but at that school, before the injecting room was there- People would find syringes fucking everywhere. They used to teach the kids to walk to school looking at the ground and how to walk in zigzags to not get poked by like sharps and stuff, right? So, you know, don't fucking stand on the TV screaming like, ah, you're putting it next to the kids when it was already happening there. And it was raucous down there in North Richmond. Yeah. Like it's gotten a lot better. It still goes on obviously, but it was- hectic when mm. i used to go down there to school <laughs> and, and look i'm has spent a lot of my life in st kilda and they had the needle exchange there and it wasn't legal but it almost was yeah. where they would and that has been happening since the 80s you yeah. know what i mean like so th this isn't a new idea it's yeah. it's a new way that the government have actually done it yeah. but it's been happening for at like um a few of those places down there i think um Sacred Heart and another one for years, so yeah. it's not a new a new idea. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Like so, yeah, it, it is a tricky one, and and I would probably be unpopular in some of my professional circles, maybe doubting the one in South Melbourne. But if I'm being honest, I haven't been down to like the Queen Vic Market recently, so I don't know if it is like fucking hectic down there and it's all yeah. happening. Um, you know, but. Before that, before I was born, I guess, like it used to be Russell Street, I think. Like yeah, where, Russell Street was definitely, yeah. But then they just moved everyone on and it ended up in Victoria Street, you know what I mean? So yeah. it's just, yeah, you can't just move the problem along. You've got to actually do something to address it. Yeah. yeah, and I don't think that by doing this, it's going to necessarily fix a problem, but it will make things safer for the drug-using individuals, but also for the public because everything is being disposed of correctly. Correct, correct. So, and and just to give everyone an idea as well, like the it, it sticks in my mind because so so I never ran a heroin habit, used heroin a few times, but a lot of my mates were like heroin addicts, um, and so we <laughs> used to be at Vic Street a lot. Um, and I remember one day they used to do I don't know what they call them, but they used to do these like police fucking sweeps in Vic Street. Mm -hmm. And I remember this one time we went down there, we got off the train. Um, and in that day, the, the dealers used to line up right outside North Richmond Station when you'd walk off right on Vic mm -hmm. Street. But we got off and there was literally like 100 to maybe like 150 cops all down Vic Street in groups of five, just like walking down the street, just pulling up everybody that looked the slightest bit dodgy, checking people's arms, all this kind of stuff. Mm. All the dealers had like retreated back into the flats and their houses and whatever. Um, that did not stop us scoring drugs right yeah. and it was fucking hard to like score the drugs but my mate got on and whatever right so like if if you have that problem going on and that situation happening no matter what people might have you believe even doing intense things like police sweeps like that people will still go there and try and score drugs and if they do it continuously the problem will just move somewhere else yeah you know
It's yeah, it it is definitely a thing. They similar sort of thing happened in St Kilda where they had the prostitution sort of thing, and they would yeah. come and that it would just push the where the girls were working further further yeah. out. It's just yeah. So that's a good example of like that legalization thing, right? So like you know, it's um, sex work is is legal here in Victoria. I don't There's know. Two any. next the, the next. I saw two that. Buildings. I nearly I nearly went this into that. This is one, the right? brothel district of Melbourne. That's right. So so <laughs> prostitution still exists in. Victoria, but I would argue that it's fucking a lot better mm. um, just in terms of if you think about like the adverse consequences and stuff like that that can happen. There is an, and I agree yeah. with you, but I think some of the people, and it's mostly the drug addicted yeah. working people, yeah. they wouldn't get a gig in one of those proper brothels because of their situation. Correct. So they still are working on the street. Yeah. yeah. But if you just flip it and if you just take a moment to say no um sex work is illegal mm -hmm. in victoria imagine all the stuff that we have around going away and then all the people that are driving down fucking gray street you know to mm. get a head job like it that would be intense it would that totally I, I but i think yeah. a, a, a melbourne or victoria has had brothels ever since i can remember yeah um and I think that we've probably figured out a good way to do it, yep. which other countries around the world or states even, like I think it was still illegal. It's still illegal in some other states. I think so, yeah. Yeah, but like I think you've you, what you've said, yeah, we've figured out a way to make it work with a lot of legislation and, yep. and, and everything like that, but it probably wasn't a, an easy thing to fix. It's taken tens of years, you know, decades and decades and decades to get it to a, a workable model. Correct. And then so so in saying that, like – from my perspective, that's why I reckon we need to kind of start. You got to start with the with yeah. the legalization stuff, and uh, that's the thing that always sticks out to me. Like, ha just how much of a there'll still be some issues around, but just how much of a positive impact it can have. And as you said, you know, the we're probably stereotyping a bit, but it's probably true um, that yeah, the the people that are doing sex work on the street, um, yeah, probably it is because of their situation and their drug use. They, and they well, can't I get think it, a know. lot of the brothels and the standards that they would be keep, they would have to make sure that they don't look a certain way, having you know track marks or whatever. Yeah, they would also have to do. Uh, they have to uh, have to do tests to make sure that they don't have any diseases or whatever. Yeah. So if you have an STD, well then you can't work there. Yeah. So it yeah. still is a yeah. It's not a not an exact science. Yeah. Yeah. Hundred percent. Yeah. So it, it's interesting. Um. But I, I think overall, that's what I'm excited about with like the internet, this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. You can have a bit more of a long form conversation because. And even in this setting, like, I, I still find it hard to, like, sort of explain it and mm -hmm. put it in a way where I'm like, yeah, that sounds, like, reasonable and rational, you know, but we're just getting to a place where we can at least, like, have a conversation and there's, like, a few good ideas that come out of it rather than trying to do drug policy in two minutes on the fucking project or something. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I, I, I can't stand that sort of those sort of shows that yeah. they just try and cram something in and then try and throw a, a gag in. Like it's just not cool. Yeah. Um. But yeah, look, I know that you've you've got a. a Sorry, mate. I got right. one last. I got one last client tonight. That's okay. Um. So yeah, look, man, it'd be great to have an, another chat where we could talk more and speak again and talk about you know uh some some more of these ideas that what you would like to do and how you could see positive change coming. Um, but before we wrap it up, do you want to, what, what's a little piece of advice you would give to someone who feels like they do have an addiction issue and the first steps that they could take 
on their own. They might have seen this and thought, fuck it, man, I'm going to make some steps. What can they yeah. do? So just just reach out. Like, so um, just just reach out and talk to someone. I always give the advice to people, if you have someone in your life that um, you feel comfortable talking to, like a friend or a family member or something, that's usually kind of better. Like I call it the hairdresser effect, you know. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you, you'll probably actually get further with that. Um, but if you don't, call a professional. You don't have to fucking tell your whole story or whatever. You just have to ask a few questions and engage and whatever. But the thing that I would say is don't let that be the only time that you do it. Again, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to change tomorrow or anything like that. But just start an ongoing, com not just one conversation, an ongoing conversation about where you're at um, just so that you can get the ball rolling. Super cliche, I know, mm. but that really is the most important thing. Um, and if you want to take it further from there, you will naturally get the confidence and find the pathways to do that. You know, um, I'll I'll give the national AOD hotline, right? Because yeah. that's that's and always out, a good Shout point. out your podcast and where people could find you if they wanted to engage your services also. For sure. So um, where Re Real Drug Talk's the best, best place on any like social media and then you can follow the links to... Um, talk to us through there. But you're there. not just specifically drugs. You do alcohol and other sort of addictions. We do, well. yeah, we do. We do alcohol and and other addictions as well. Yeah. So, um, uh, and then th there's something for everyone. So we've tried to kind of create um something where, you know, there's like there's educational stuff like books, podcasts, stuff like that that you can buy for five bucks, listen to for free, whatever, right up to counseling sessions for a couple of hundred bucks right up to like rehab you know mm -hmm. and where you're doing something really intense so it doesn't really matter where you're at you can kind of reach out and find us but if you just punch in real drug talk that's the easiest way to find it um but it's important like the whole you know national aod drug hotline where you can call and be triaged or put through to wherever you are and they'll they'll tell you all the different services and stuff that are available it's 1-800-250-015 i'm laughing because there's somebody that i work with she's an ex-politician she's crazy she just yells at everyone you gotta put the national hotline on there because we don't say it right you don't say it. well, we'll yeah. we might even go one step further and i'll get adam who's our awesome editor to put that number at the end on the screen and maybe even at the start as well awesome cool all right well thanks jack for coming man i appreciate it no worries thanks I for having I look forward to having you back some stage where we could we could talk more about this sort of stuff. Done. No worries, mate. It'll be my pleasure. Thanks, man. Thanks. Cheers. Three, three thousand.